Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Doctor Who was groundbreaking television when it first launched and has enjoyed considerable success during its long run. But things haven't always been plain sailing for the Doctor. Despite having a pop culture icon on their hands that has proven itself capable of regenerating itself time and time again, the BBC seemed to have little faith in their flagship sci-fi drama. With that in mind, I'm Will for Who Culture, and here are six times Doctor Who was nearly cancelled and the time it actually was. 7. Regenerating the Doctor 1966 When the show launched in 1963, William Hartnell was not cast as the first Doctor. He was simply Doctor Who, and it was intended that he would carry the torch for a considerable time. After all, he was the star of the show, and the general public were besotted with him. You simply couldn't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who. What the writers and producers could not have foreseen was Hartnell's failing health, coming into play just a few years later. Hartnell would become easily muddled whilst filming, often flubbing his lines and repeatedly misremembering the name of his companion, Ian Chesterton. The BBC had a dilemma. They had a bona fide hit on their hands, but it was clear that their lead actor could not continue in the role, both for his own good and that of the audience. The cancellation of the show was considered, but not wanting to lose the devout viewership it brought in, it was instead decided that the Doctor would be recast, with the younger and more energetic Patrick Troughton taking the reins. It was at this point the writers conceived of one of the most ingenious ideas in the history of television. Writing the recasting of the main character into the fabric of the show via the Doctor's ability to regenerate their appearance and personality. They could never have known at the time, but this bright little idea has kept the show fresh and given it the legs that have kept it running to this very day. 6. Waning Interest 1969-1970 It was just a few years later that the show once again found itself under the threat of cancellation, around the end of the Troughton era and the handover to third Doctor John Pertwee. There are conflicting reports as to which side of this transition discussions were had. The show was still enjoying success and praise from audiences and critics alike, though viewing figures had dropped noticeably compared to the heights of that Hartnell era. It was fair to say that Dalek Mania was beginning to run its course. At this point, there was no plan to turn Doctor Who into the long-standing TV juggernaut that it is today, and the BBC considered ending it on a high note before it began to decline. 
and was potentially axed under less dignified circumstances. Thankfully, these discussions never progressed further due to the show reinvigorating itself to appeal to a wider audience. The younger, more dashing third doctor was more prone to solving problems with martial arts than words, and had swapped out his TARDIS for a little yellow car called Bessie, which he zipped about in, thwarting alien invasions. A format change in the show also saw the doctor stranded on Earth, taking a day job with Unit to keep himself busy. These changes went down an absolute storm, ushering in the second and arguably final golden era of classic Who, one that lasted all the way until Tom Baker's exit. 5. Doctor in Distress 1985 Many would cite the cancellation of Doctor Who as the low point in its history, and the beginning of the dark times. Whilst the wilderness years were a tough pill to swallow for many viewers, that was not the show's darkest hour. The actual darkest hour was the 1985 charity single, Doctor in Distress. To set the scene, Colin Baker is at the TARDIS console, with controversial showrunner John Nathan Turner helming the show through a very divisive era. Criticisms of the show at the time ranged from cries that the show was too violent, the writing was poor, the production quality was shoddy, and most chiefly, that the Doctor was written as a bit of an asshole. And none of these critics was quite so vocal as one man, Michael Grade, the BBC One controller at the time. It's fair to say, in no uncertain terms, that Gard hated the show. He didn't exactly mince his words when talking about it. He wanted Doctor Who gone. In 1985, he got his wish, announcing the cancellation of the show. Due to initial backlash, this cancellation was speedily relabeled as an indefinite hiatus. People were coming out in defense of the show, though in many cases this was due to fond memories of what Doctor Who had once been, as opposed to what it currently was. Despite this temporary stay of execution, it was clear that Doctor Who was still under threat, and so the cast and crew decided to do something about it, something that, in hindsight, was ill-advised. Inspired by the success of the previous year's Band-Aid, they decided to form a supergroup and record a charity single in an attempt to save the show. The next smash hit was due to include the likes of Elton John and Gary Glitter alongside the cast and crew of the show. Unfortunately, none of the special guests turned up, each making their own excuse to distance themselves from this disaster waiting to happen, with the exception of a young Hans Zimmer who turned up to play the keyboard. It goes without saying that this was before he hit the big time. Needless to say, almost no one bought the charity single, and the show ended up as even more of a laughing stock than it was before. 4. The End of Classic Who 1989. A dodgy music video would soon be the least of Doctor Who's worries. With viewing figures continuing to decline, and the new Doctor still not resonating with viewers, Grade was more determined than ever to be rid of the show. Its episode count was reduced, resulting in the serialized Trial of a Time Lord, and the show was relegated to a weeknight slot, scheduled opposite the infinitely more popular Coronation Street. In short, it was sent to its new slot to die. Still not content, Grade ordered the unceremonious firing of Colin Baker, whose character he despised, and Baker refused to return to film his regeneration scene. He was replaced by the more reserved and middle-of-the-road Seventh Doctor, played by Sylvester McCoy, the final incarnation of the classic series. The era didn't get off to a swimming start, with some very mediocre stories and a Doctor who took some time to find his footing. Not to mention showrunner John Nathan Turner's constant attempts to jump ship on the production, only to be dragged back on board by the BBC. Later into his run, McCoy's episodes saw a 
better reception with fans. His character had evolved, developing a darker, manipulative side, and a more popular companion had been introduced, in the form of Ace, considered one of the best Doctor Who companions of all time. Sadly, the damage had already been done to the show's reception, and by extension, its viewing figures. With John Nathan Turner finally successful in stepping down in 1989, not one writer dared to take the show on. Later that year, it was finally killed off for good by the BBC. At least, for now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Three, a failed pilot, 1996. Seven years after Doctor Who's cancellation, writer and producer Philip Segal was about the only man brave enough to still be pushing to relaunch Doctor Who. With the BBC still entirely disinterested, Segal decided to instead pitch the show to an American audience. Needless to say, it was a tough sell a quintessentially British show with a marred reputation that was cancelled due to lack of interest. By some miracle, Seagal managed to pique the interest of a single network, Fox. Fox were extremely hesitant to commit heavily to the series, but could see from its early years that if executed correctly, the show did have huge potential. To test the waters, they commissioned a TV movie as a backdoor pilot for a full series. In order to appeal to a modern American audience, tweaks were made to the format. The movie would take place in present-day United States and feature American companions and an American master in the form of Eric Roberts. Thankfully, it was agreed the Doctor still had to be British, and the crew settled on Paul McGann to be the face of the character's English incarnation. This modern-day Doctor was very different to his predecessors, handsome, more of a gentleman, and with a romantic streak. The pieces were set, all Seagal had to do was pray the movie didn't bomb, which it did. The film had its strengths and weaknesses. It's not terrible, but it's not great either despite a surprisingly strong casting of Paul McGann as the Doctor. Sadly, without the context of its long history, American viewers were disinterested and confused by the plot, whilst British fans struggled to come to terms with the Americanization of this British pop culture icon. Following its release, Fox made the decision to not pursue a series, and you really can't blame them. Besides, if they had, who's to say where the show would be today? 2. I Don't Wanna Go 
2010. Of course, as we all know, Doctor Who made its triumphant return in 2005, coming back to TV screens with a bang and garnering critical and audience acclaim. After a fantastic first series with ninth Doctor Christopher Eccleston, the news broke that David Tennant would be cast as his successor. In the few years that followed, Doctor Who re-established itself as a cultural icon, entering what many deemed to be the show's third golden era, as it became the BBC's flagship Saturday night viewing. It's fair to say that the two biggest factors in this widespread success were David Tennant's 10th Doctor and the top-tier storytelling of showrunner Russell T. Davies. The world simply couldn't get enough of these two. But good things can't last forever, and in 2008, Russell T. Davies announced that he would be stepping down, closely followed by David Tennant's announcement that he would also leave the show. The two would work together on a series consisting of five feature-length specials leading into the next regeneration, and that would be it. Around this time, the BBC were considering cancelling the show, unable to imagine it succeeding without Tennant. This was a little naive on their part, because history had proven time and time again that the show still had legs after recasting its main character. In place of RTD, Stephen Moffat was enlisted as showrunner, having penned some of the most popular scripts of New Who at the time, Blink, The Empty Child, Girl in the Fireplace, and Silence in the Library. The BBC and fans alike felt that the show was safe in his hands, but were still skeptical about the idea of the 11th Doctor. So much, in fact, that Moffat tried to get Tennant to stay on until Series 5, with early drafts of some scripts featuring his Doctor instead. Originally, Ten would be the one to crash land in Amy Pond's garden, only for it to be revealed at the end of the series that the version of the Doctor who appeared at the start was a future version of the Doctor at the end of his life, and about to regenerate. Thankfully, Tennant refused, and the world was introduced to another very popular incarnation in the form of Matt Smith, who hit the ground running in the 11th hour faster than any other Doctor, and put naysayers to rest swiftly. Series 5 would prove extremely popular, introducing an entirely new, fairy tale esque vibe to the show, a vibe that certainly wouldn't have worked as well with a Doctor we were already familiar with. 1. A fan base divided. 2020. Viewership had already been on a downward trajectory during the Peter Capaldi era of Doctor Who, though the show was still popular with fans. Regardless, it was clear that when Chris Chibnall took over the reins of the show, he'd have to win the casual viewership back. When Jodie Whittaker was cast as the first female Doctor, many fans were intrigued by this new direction for the show. It's fair to say, though, that this current era of the show has been incredibly polarizing within the fanbase, with people criticizing the writing style, characterization of the Doctor, the show having too many companions, and most recently, the major changes to the show's lore revealed in The Timeless Children. The era has its passionate fans and defenders, and has certainly won over a new audience, but the viewing figures, especially for Series 12, have continued to drop as many fans have given up on the show. This, coupled with the COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused issues for many productions, has caused much speculation that the show might go on another hiatus. Rumors continued to resurface during the break after Series 12, that the show was in trouble at the BBC though none of this was ever proven. In fact, these rumors seem to have been put to bed completely by the recent announcement that Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker will be stepping down at the end of 2022, making way for a new showrunner and Doctor for Series 14. The BBC clearly has plans for the future. Furthermore, a switch up to a serialized format, rumored returns for popular monsters in the form of Sontarans and Weeping Angels, plus the addition of John Bishop and Jacob Anderson to the cast, means the show might just win back its audience sooner than again expected. After all, this isn't the first time fans have lost faith in the show, only for it to bounce back.